and welcome to For All Mumkind, the podcast. A podcast for mums, by mums. Today's guest is behaviour specialist providing parenting support to individuals, families, groups and corporations. She's a mum to Billy and Ned. It's Deirdre Holland Hannand. Hello. <laughs> Hello Dee, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. So you are a mum to two little boys, Billy and Ned. How old are they? They are two and four. Oh, so exactly two years between two of them. Yeah, they're literally born a day apart, actually. And you think that sounds well planned, but <laughs> it really wasn't. But um, yeah, so we're right in the, the thick of it, as they say. So you had kind of two under two for like... About 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually going to... Yeah, I'll have two under two for about a month. Okay, that'll um, be enough. <laughs> that'll be enough. And then my dad says, perfect time, Pamela, because then you just go straight into the terrible twos. I was like, no. I know. You're, do you know, I always say that I think the terrible twos can start from 17 months on. So you could be... Oh, yeah. You could be out of them and into a new phase even by then. Hopefully. we Depending on your little person. <laughs> Well, our little person definitely has a good bit of sass in her, so <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if she's, uh, yeah. Already there. We're already there. Um, so with your two boys, you were diagnosed actually quite young with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, um, well, I suppose well, I was so young and it's so long ago now, this makes me sound really old. <laughs> they didn't even have the same diagnostic criteria as they have now. Um, so I was coming up with lots of different symptoms and my GP wa- hadn't really a clue what was going on. Um, and he never did blood, so it never showed up on a, a hormone um, test. And only really for my mum. My mum just kind of uh, refused to let it lie and pushed on um, with anything that would kind of assess where these symptoms are coming from. Um, I I don't know if we'd ever have known. And I I definitely think now looking back at it, that would directly have affected, I suppose, my road to getting pregnant. Um, So yeah, she persevered uh, through lots of different roads. We ended up uh, getting to a gynecologist ourselves um, and she did a blood test it never showed up with cysts or anything it was just a blood test showed up the hormonal imbalance and back then actually that didn't qualify as, as PCOS but um, the, the diagnostic criteria has changed over the years that's Oh, that is maybe 20 years ago. So <laughs> it's probably changed twice. Um, but uh, yeah, so I suppose basically it means different things to different people. But um, in my case, it definitely meant I was going to have issues conceiving because it it can mean you don't ovulate. And for me, it definitely meant that. So I suppose I would be very aware of my own mental health and my own level of coping skills and I I felt if I went for months trying and failed it would have a very big effect on me Mm -hmm. um because the general advice is you know to try for six nine twelve months and then go and get help um I I suppose was 15 years with PCOS at that stage and very much knew you know um there was no menstrual cycle there was no period without medical um support ever over those 15 years and we would have tried and tested that a few times so for me I 
came off my medication and came off my contraception and I'd say I tried for two months and then I went straight to fertility clinic because I knew I wouldn't cope with this try and try and try and fail and fail and fail and that just wasn't in my personal remit of uh get on and get on with it and cope um I'm, I'm a big believer and advocate of knowing your strengths and weaknesses and I'll I will be a great woman to tell you all my strengths too, but I do know my weaknesses and this was definitely going to break me. So went to the fertility clinic. We were very, very lucky. You know, I needed minimal intervention, no IVF, nothing like that. It was climate cycle. And, um, so is I, that like an eye, that, that was to make you ovulate? Exactly. Okay. And then time it and go home and do it your own way okay and then come back in so basically I think to be honest it was the doctor we had really that made and made it such an easy process and I suppose I know that because the second time round when we went for Billy it was a different doctor and it broke my heart because it did make it harder and it just shows really like you know they just aren't all made the same um and yeah, it was definitely Dr. Shimon that uh, he'd, he'd just win you over like, and he would just, he was like, of course you're going to get pregnant. What do you mean? We're just going to try this once. He, and I said, and what if I don't then? And he was like, well, we'll do climate for six months, but like, you're going to get pregnant. He was like, look at you. He was like, Because yeah. <laughs> you were probably at an age where your eggs were actually good. Yeah, so and they do all that. They're like, you have plenty of eggs. Your husband yeah. is perfect. Oh, sure. He was delighted with his screening. <laughs> like everything was above average for Rob so he was like I am tops so yeah he he had full confidence and first first cycle of Clomid we were pregnant and it was fantastic um and then second time around different doctor little bit more of a negative experience but actually it was Dr Shamoon's notes from two years ago that saved that treatment because I suppose part and parcel of the PCOS as well is you have a very long cycle Mm -hmm. and the second doctor didn't allow for that so she was going to kind of um what's the word you know she was saying the climate cycle wasn't working because on day 15 there was nothing showing on the scans but when she checked Dr. Shamoon's note he actually let me go three days longer okay and there you had it the egg arrived so she was writing off the cycle yeah and we weren't going to like pop anything. And when she checked the notes, then she said, oh, OK, let's go to day 17, 18 and we'll try it. And I was like, yeah, yeah that, that'd be great. Being and a baby and all. Come did you do you have to do um, like an injection then to get the egg to? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This so a, yeah. we will say. So you were waiting for that moment. Waiting for that egg yeah. to arrive. And day 15, she was like, no, that's that cycle failed. And I was like, oh, I'm a bit heartbroken. And then check the file and she's like okay Dr Shamoon actually pushed you out three more days so let's do that and lo and behold an egg came three more days and then you do your injection to pop it and then I suppose you go home then and you try and have sex morning night work like hope for the best and try and get I suppose you know the timing of the egg you want something there before it arrives you want something there when it arrives you want something there after it arrives and um then you go back in and I suppose for me the other the only other complication that came up is is great you're pregnant but the shell of the egg actually didn't survive or disintegrated I'm not sure the words he used so I had to go on progesterone uh, for 
the first 12 to 14 weeks to make sure I maintained the pregnancy and I had to do that on Billy as well so for whatever reason on both um and I he had obviously a technical name but the shell of the egg is the best way to describe it um didn't hang on and that produces produced your dome for your first trimester so again luckily because I was in the system and getting scanned that was seen because I suppose if you're at home and that happens maybe that's how you end up having a miscarriage because we don't know those things if we don't see them so yeah I was very lucky uh, on both boys and it was very I suppose painless although I suppose I do remember the climate treatment on Billy being painful <laughs> in the sense that I felt a lot more stress but Ned's was painless and Billy I did feel a lot more stress about it and it took till the second cycle with Billy but in the grand scheme of things when you know you didn't have to go through IVF and everything yeah you know you kind of have to take your breaks where you get them and be like okay you were upset and stressed out but like it ended pretty well yeah and when you conceived the first time on the first round mm-hmm. were you shocked uh, yeah no I I'm funny like I get really gut feelings and I stick with them and I was really confident and I think it was his confidence as well and I knew I was pregnant like I knew I was pregnant I rang the fertility clinic and I did the pregnancy test on the other way they'd be telling you not to do yeah. them too early you'll get like a negative and it won't be a negative and you'd be upset and I was like but I know I just know like and yeah I was a hundred percent confident and actually I did the pregnancy test <laughs> one morning going out to work and I didn't have the time to read it because I was really late so it came in the car with me and I read it halfway through the traffic because I where I was living at the time in Kildare if you hadn't left by such in time you were done for so there just wasn't and the other way they obviously have to do the tests in the morning yes so yeah that test came in the car with me and was thrown into the glove compartment and then I rang the first stage and I was like I need the official test we are pregnant people (laughs) so yeah I don't think I even rang Rob I was like you know I'll just get the full confirmation first but I know I am I know I am yeah Yeah, I was adamant it's really funny actually listening to you talk about your fertility journey it's very similar to mine um I didn't my issue was I have a low ovarian egg reserve okay so that wasn't diagnosed I suppose I am always saying I'm such an advocate to fight your own fight you know never trust a doctor you know if if you have an instinct in yourself Mm -hmm. don't take the first advice maybe get a second thing and that's for me was we were trying and nothing was happening and I'm pretty you know I'm pretty methodical I had using an app to know when to try and everything and I just felt there was my cycle wasn't hitting the kind of pace it should be like certain certain durations of different parts of your cycle just weren't mm. as long as they should be I just felt a little bit uneasy and my instinct was there's something not right so I went back to my GP now we'd only been trying maybe for I'd say maybe four or five months and I went back to her and I said look this isn't really nothing's happening like and she was like god oh, no 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 you know don't panic you're you're this you're that you know, I don't want to start testing you for bloods. I don't want to start stressing you out. And I was like, all right, okay, if you think so. And off I went again. And I gave it another month. And I said to him, I said, you know what? My instinct is telling me there's something not right. 
And I said, I'm not happy with being told to wait another six months because I don't know what I'm dealing with. Another six months, you know, I'm a bit older and all of that. So And every month where you feel you've failed exactly. takes a toll on that, on any chance of being actually effective. Yeah, exactly. So I said, you know what, um, I'm just going to make a decision here. We'll go down the private route, um, put in a call, got down to, we ended up going to Cork Fertilities uh, Treatment there, Dr. Waterstone, like did my research of where to go. Mm-hmm. Who had the best recommendations, who had the best medical results, everything like that. And went there and straight away they initially get all your bloods done. And part of that is an AMH test, which checks your ovarian egg reserve. So I didn't know what, you know, when I went down there, I didn't know what to expect was going to be wrong. You know, was it a blood imbalance? Was it thyroid? Yeah. Um, And I will never forget getting that test back. I was shook because I just didn't think about it you know I just it wasn't I, I don't know what I thought I didn't really think about it but I didn't expect that and I remember getting it and my hands were shaking and I was just like oh my god um because it was out of everything having a low egg is the one thing that it, you can't really work with your exactly. eggs your eggs um and I remember actually getting a blood test I had to go back for more blood tests in that same GP and the GP came in, she knocked at the door of the nurse. I couldn't even look at her because I was so annoyed at her for not listening to me. And she was like, I heard your news, I'm really sorry. As if she's like, one way it was if we were mourning something, mm-hmm. the sympathy level. And another way I really wish she kind of said, I'm sorry for not listening to you. But she didn't say, you know, and I felt like she probably should have said. Um, so we went for... And I think it takes a very good doctor yeah. to be able to do that. And I'm not sure that they we exist. have a huge population of them. So we went then, we were recommended for IUI. And um, I was like, I suppose I was so relaxed about it that, because I just had a feeling in my own heart. I was like, look, let's do this. I knew that my percentage rates, I deal in facts. So I said, look, this isn't, statistically isn't going to work for us, you know. Mm. So let's not, you know, hope too much into it. And um, in my head, I was like, I will end up doing IVF. I just had that. And okay. I just I made that decision for myself to not be too caught up in the results of what if this failed. Total self-preservation. Um, and then it worked straight away. And but then because it worked and still even with my current pregnancy, it's still for me is a case of like, I felt like I cheated the system. You know, the science helped me conceive and therefore I've kind of like, yeah, basically cheated the system. So that pregnancy was as, this one probably isn't as bad, but definitely my pregnancy with Alice, I just feared, I feared every day, every day I was just so anxious that I just felt like I shouldn't, this shouldn't have happened, this shouldn't have worked. You know, it literally wasn't until I held her that I kind of went, oh my God, this has actually happened. So this is right. And this yeah, is it was really strange. And even the second time, so this a few people have messaged me after announcing my pregnancy, kind of saying, you know, how did you conceive? Was it naturally this time or not? So it wasn't. It was another IUI to the point. And again, D, this is like my husband was like, Pamela, are you for real? <laughs> Once we went in, and we I have a great relationship with Doctor Wallstone. He delivered Alice, um, and again, I have a huge trust in him. So it makes we, such a difference. Such a difference. And he was such a lovely man. And 
we went back into him and he remembered us obviously from having Alice and he said god you're back to us very soon and I said yeah I said look I don't really want to be waiting around I don't you know time is everything yeah time is a you know it's important and they do harp on about your age so it's hard not to have that exactly. plane in your head and in my head again I was thinking look they're going to test your AMH again and it's going to be lower and you know everything is going to be down mm-hmm. so don't panic so we went in and he did all his tests and everything and he was like no he was like Pamela to be honest like things are looking really well so are you sure you want to go down the IUI route and I was like yeah I definitely do I said I don't want to be wasting another you know in my head feeling like I'm going to waste another six months on my own you know trying to do it and feeling yeah. so I said no look I would prefer to just get into the cycle now he said, look, you know, let's let's go for it. And he said, um, Ben pipes up and he goes, you know, this is going to be a July baby if this works. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be grand. Um, so July for my, July and August, my husband's like, he couldn't yeah, pick yeah. the worst time. The high season. High season. He works every hour that God gives him. Um, so I was not concerned that we were going to conceive and have a baby in July. Um, and I think if we're quite alike so I'd be like well look that's the punishment I have to take exactly to get this. like exactly. I can't have it every way you could have it all but not all together exactly you know like can we fuss over dates if this is going to work no exactly so I kind of said it, totally so I was like look if we are so blessed that this works we will manage it but in my head I was like there's no way how can I complain this is going to work the second time on the first round. It's just not going to happen. This, you know, it just doesn't happen to people. So off we went and we did our, we did our 10 injections and we did the whole thing. And I knew pretty instantly that I would conceived. It was, yeah, I'd say maybe by day five or six. It's amazing how you know. Yeah, I just knew I could feel things happening. I could feel my body instantly starting to change. And I said to Vanessa Ben, I'm pregnant. He said, Pamela, please, please don't say that. And don't, I don't want your head to go there. And if if you're not, you're going to be devastated. I said, God, Ben, well, if I'm not, then there's something else seriously wrong because I can tell, I can Mm -hmm. feel there's definitely a shift in my body. Um, and then I did inducting three pregnancy tests because like that I tested positive I rang the fertility clinic and they were like you're a little bit early I don't want you getting you know a, 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 a false positive if it's yeah, not positive yeah. in case there's hormones still in your system so I said okay even though I was really like I know and then I did two more and then on the Monday I rang them again and said no I'm still positive I've done three tests now um, and they were like okay come up to us and we're gonna have a look at what's going on um but I yeah like I was shocked that it worked again the first time was it because I was so relaxed about it I don't know I didn't I didn't think about it I didn't kind of put any thought I kind of just went right let's you know we'd come back from a holiday we were pretty chilled you know Alice skinned up coming to one of our appointments because we didn't um we had to bring her with us you know we were just it was just relaxed and again I, I just think as well the second time around you knew what you were getting yourself into yeah so there's definitely less stress because I remember feeling so confident going for Billy and then it was actually I shouldn't have been because of you know how it played out then with the other doctor and stuff kind of freaked me out a little bit and ended up being more stressful but you know it's funny when you're talking about the dates I think that's how you know the boys are born a day apart and if the first cycle had worked they'd have different birthdays but now they've the 21st and 22nd because the first cycle didn't work and then it ended up literally falling into the same path as Ned's 
yeah. but you can't you can't plan these things you know I mean if I thought about it at the time when I've said oh maybe we should wait a month because they'll have the same birthday not a hope I would have been like <laughs> plow on <laughs> and I was totally the same because I remember thinking to myself well look for me it was so that was October I think that cycle happened so in my head I was like okay so I'll do cycle in October if I can't I can get another cycle in in November the clinic closes for December they don't do any cycles so I knew I didn't have that month mm-hmm. and then I thought look if that doesn't work then we start fresh again in January so I had all planned out in my head um about you know potentially in 2020 continuing the journey then yes um but yeah look we're very very lucky um and yeah I suppose it was just it's a funny process to have to go through and it's did you tell anyone you were going for treatment or um I think just my best friend Ashling and Mark knew everything always and I think that's important to have someone that you can tell absolutely everything you're going through she's I can't even remember now my family always know everything my sister always knows everything um but yeah I think we'll say directly every day was probably just Ashling and probably threw the pregnancy test at her in the car park (laughs) when I drove in with it most likely um but yeah like it's just one of those things um I think if you if you do it alone it definitely makes it harder definitely um if you feel like there's any kind of stigma attached to her and it definitely makes it harder but you know I'm laughing because you had too few eggs and I had too many but they just weren't arriving so like you can't win really no (laughs) no and I think it's I always say it's you know to people you know in their 20s and early 30s you spend your 20s trying not to get pregnant yeah you spend your 30s trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. had I known in my 20s how hard it is actually to conceive (laughs) I wouldn't have been that worried I wouldn't have been so worried That you're literally looking at a window of between 24 to maybe 48 hours that you're in kind of like a danger zone. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like, again, it's, it's the education of ourselves and our cycling and in the education system oh, that we're totally. just so not educated in. Totally. And like I say, I, I would wonder really how my whole road and route would have played out only for my mom persevering yeah totally and I suppose I was very lucky with the GP I had in Kildare as well he was fantastic um throughout it all and guiding me and not didn't question for a second me trying for six or nine twelve months he was like straight in let's get you referred there was no hesitation from him that meant a huge that was like a huge weight off my shoulders. I didn't have to fight for a referral either. Yeah. Or, you know, I wasn't doubted. Um, and he, he was very knowledgeable about PCOS as well. So I think, you know, if it's very hard to go into these things um, without that kind of support. Yeah. And I actually, after conceiving I was actually changed GPs after that because I just felt... Very I, hard to have the faith yeah. in, like, and that kind of trust. You really need, like, you need, you need to be able to bank on them. It's very yeah. hard to kind of, I suppose, continue that when yeah. you feel you haven't been listened to. Yeah, it's very hard to come back from it. And it's it's important as well that if you have a GP, you feel like you're not listening, being listened to. Just walk away and find mm-hmm. someone else. I think our generation are better for that. Yeah, I think we are. I think we're pretty good. I think the older generation, you know, it's unheard of like you yeah, couldn't be at that like now it's a doctor for life yeah you couldn't be changed <laughs> yeah so it's what always... if they saw you going into the other gb <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yeah 
And how were your pregnancies then? Um, my pregnancy with Ned, I don't remember being bad at all, but I think you're on cloud nine. Yeah. Well, I was. Like, I wasn't anxious about it. I was a little bit annoyed when I had to go on the progesterone because I was like, oh my God, can you do anything right, buddy? Could you have just created the progesterone? Um, but once I got over that... Um, no, it was a really good pregnancy on Ned and Billy's then was just, oh God, it nearly broke me because Ned was just so much hard work. Um, pregnant with Billy and having Ned as a toddler and we were in Kildare so I had no support. Um, we had no family up there. We had no childcare. I just left my career for Ned. It was fairly full on and just I just remember feeling broken by the third trimester with, with Billy um yeah <laughs> but Ned's was like picture perfect oh I'll come home after work and have a rest I know you it's know the princess pregnancy they call it the first one yeah, yeah. and it for sure was that I was like oh I'll just walk the dog get some exercise you know because I'm staying fit during my pregnancy <laughs> like no that didn't yeah no it's a lot harder second time around isn't yeah. It? yeah yeah for sure um but yeah that's they were just opposite ends of the the scale for sure and were you with Billy, were you t- tired then in that pregnancy? Oh God, like on another level. Yeah. Like and just not myself and not in good form and like I just don't think actually we were in a good place in general on on, on Billy's pregnancy. Um, we wanted to leave Kildare and come back down home, um, and that wasn't panning out with like jobs, uh, for my husband and. Um, we were renting up there and the landlord was rising the rent and he was talking about selling the house and oh, all that uncertainty yeah it was just it was mad actually that year what year was that that was 2017 he was born like that whole year just threw up every curveball you could have tried for and you're just wrecked while you're doing it mm-hmm. um yeah for sure it wasn't you know and then it all plays on the both of you as well yeah because you're like zero tolerance I can't possibly have patience for you after I've just put a day down with Ned and growing a person over here like so you need to just manage yourself <laughs> so you were at home with Ned yeah like, all, that's hard yeah Ned, that was fairly full on now and no childcare, no no support like as I say no family to call to um and I suppose you know it's 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 what you get into your head as well like you get into your head that if I was at home now I'd be able to call to my mom and you know what I mean you kind of you you start seeing and designing the greener grass yeah like to how it was better I was very lucky like we had um the house that was attached to ours we a semi-d and um like the my best friend Tara lived in there with her husband and she was just a year or two ahead of me on all the babies so that in itself actually I'd say saved my sanity on certain weeks um like having them so close to me and even just support like that now my husband would have been a similar industry to yours that summer that summer being pregnant in the second trimester on my own I'll never forget it I'd say only for Tara and Kieran next door I'd say we'd be divorced <laughs> yeah it's it is hard. or I'd be admitted to need therapy of some sort after and the kids at that age like I suppose like Alice would have been similar now to what Ned would have been like you can't bargain with them they don't understand that skill isn't there yet they don't have communication skills so they're very well for Alice and her, she's so strong-minded mm-hmm. 
you can't really talk her out of something or distract her. You might for a few minutes and then she'll remember that's not actually what I wanted and wants to go back to mm-hmm. whatever it was that she wanted. It's oh yeah, it's it's such an intense period. Um, yeah, for sure. And like we were saying beforehand, you know, the terrible twos can kick in at any point. I think for me, Ned is very much fifth gear. He's not, uh, let's chill out and do a few puzzles, you know, whereas Billy actually is quite really good attention span for his age um, and he's good to chill a bit. But Ned is like, you know, that tornado going through the house (laughs) and would have been at that age like, you know, and like the fear of him not napping when I was pregnant was like extreme, like or I started putting a note on the door to not knock or ring because it would set off the dog. And the dog would set off or would wake, would wake Ned. Him. And I literally thought, like, I'll, I'll not survive today if that happens. So I used to, like, write a note and stick it on the door, like, daily. And I'd say, like, my poor postman or any delivery people were like, she's crazy. <laughs> like, watch out for number 26. And, like, definitely the kids in the estate were like, watch out for number 26. She will eat you. <laughs> if your ball goes in there, you're dead. <laughs> so being a new mum was quite a transition for you so with being Kildare not having that support unit and it's it's for me I, I always found like I used to watch the clock until Ben could get home just for that intensity and you could just kind of go oh and exhale yeah it was literally like you'd walk in the door and I'd be like hold her take her <laughs> I need for me I, I, I knew I just needed 20 minutes of just yeah nothingness and for me I wouldn't be anywhere else like I wouldn't go full time this minute I didn't want to go back to work yeah but good lord like it's 24 7 it's a different ball game altogether um you're not regretting your decision or anything but you do need a breath yeah you know you do need that kind of just minute to compose yourself and be a good parent again (laughs) and you know what actually quite helps me was I don't know, was it the same time as I'd added a similar? No, it must have been in the middle of it. Louise McSharry was, um, I love following her on Instagram because she's so true and honest. Yeah, I really like her. And I remember one day she put up a thing. Someone else had given her grief. She put up something, someone had given her grief. And she said, you're allowed to have two emotions. You can have an emotion of, oh my God, am I going to kind of survive this day? This motherhood is so hard. But you can also be grateful and I think when she said that, I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. I'm completely grateful that I've conceived and birthed and I have this gorgeous child. But yes, it is really hard as well. Yeah. And that gave me almost hearing someone else say it out loud. I went, yeah, that's that's exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. And you can have those two emotions. And I think we do have, um, you know, a society of where like you do feel, oh, well, if you went to all that trouble to have the baby, why are you complaining? Now? Yes. No, no, I get I can complain. Things can be hard. Um, I can be upset. It's OK to move on and forget you ever had to go to IVF. It's OK to, I suppose, for parenting not to be playing out how you thought it would be. Yeah. You know, 
it's okay to not be the mother you expect it to be as well you know I think that's totally okay that you know I'm actually not mother earth I really want to go back to work well that's totally okay it doesn't make you lesser mother or lesser person you know and I think we are in a society at the minute and I see it through my work a lot where we're made feel guilty for mm-hmm. just being ourselves and for existing exactly all. and it all plays into all of that you know if you've had IVF if you've had treatment why are you giving out about having a bad day you should be so grateful yeah. I you know um feeling guilty for wanting to go back to work feeling guilty for not wanting to go back to work it's it's just it's we're on a nonsense level of guilt at the moment yeah I think maybe it does go full circle and we'll get back on track but it has to be okay to be human again yeah or if you are have had a small child because I remember at the time um Vogue Williams I think there's only maybe a couple of weeks between or between Alice and Teodor she went back and she did like some event she got annihilated for it I remember that because I really like for a couple of hours yeah if I could put on a beautiful dress get my hair and makeup done and go out for a couple of hours I would be doing it yeah like it was yeah no I think we're the best in the world for beating ourselves with what we're doing wrong but if we do give ourselves a break, you may be sure there'll be someone else there to to, bring you back to, to hand you the stick <laughs> back and make sure you're you're not. And then I say that and I thoroughly believe that we are our best supports as well. Like Massively. You know, I sound so contradictory there really because, you know, when you talk about when you have the babies and you're alone and you've no support, I very much believe that's how I ended up on social media. Um was because I was alone in the four walls with Ned and um you know I would have started joined Instagram maybe when I got my dog and then nothing ever really went up of it of any interest but then with Ned and feeling alone and all of a sudden finding a digital community of mothers and oh my god she's complaining as well hold on she's publicly complaining oh my God, look at the state of our house. This is fantastic. You know, and it really did develop into, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's all take a breath here because maybe there's more like me out there. They're just not like in the same estate as me or, you know, in the same village as me. And I really do feel like the digital village I created for myself on maternity leave and throughout the pregnancies and to this day to this day very much so like was a saving grace and support in a way like and I think even now in the last 12 months there's more and more professionals and experts there ready to you know spread their advice and their information and it's it's fantastic yeah it's really fantastic so I you know it's it's the rock and the hard place I suppose on that one yeah Absolutely, and I suppose that's where the, the the podcast kind of came out of as well. It was I was on maternity leave and kind of feeling a bit like, okay, you know, I'm John and Kerry. You kind of have this fictionist idea of what your maternity is going to be like, yeah. And then the reality is everyone's in work, um, and it, it's winter time, and you can't really get out for the walks that you'd planned and everything like that. So, like that, it was kind of using Instagram and kind of following people and re- listening and and then kind of went there's something in this and you know we need a voice you know there needs to be, you need to be able to 
like a magazine but you just mm-hmm. don't have the time as a mother to kind of pick up and read a magazine and I kind of thought well maybe a podcast would work and people can pick it up and put it down as they have the time in their day yeah to um, feel you connected with something that was relatable to you that day even though you may not have been able to leave the house or the village yeah. or get anywhere that's what it definitely always gave me was you know I feel I've spoken to a relatable adult today that's yeah. going through the same thing as me and I suddenly feel normal and okay yeah you know exactly um are your two boys alike in so you've got Ned being what how did you describe him fifth gear fifth gear <laughs> that's a really good description <laughs> And Billy then is he is he placid? Because they look so similar. Mm. I think they look so similar. Yeah, but I'm sure it's to funny. You they're yeah, no, I find Billy looks totally different. Billy is, looks like me. We're like twins, and I don't think Ned looks like me at all. <laughs> I know if I probably saw a photo of them, the odd time I go, oh yeah, they are very like a fairness. But no, they're they're different. They're they're very different. Uh, yeah, they're very different. Um, Ned and was there even their phases different? Like as as in oh god, yeah, like everything is different. Now I do believe a huge burial is being the second child. Yeah. So you know, like I see Billy doing things at two and a half that Ned would never have done at two and a half. But I I'm a hundred percent confident it's not actually his personality. It's being the second child and the house he's being raised in. So, you know, at two, two and a half, me and Ed were on our own up in Kildare. And at two, two and a half, Billy is down living with my mom and dad and Rob and me in a great place where we want to be. Um, and a big brother showing him things yeah. Ned never had showing him. So the rearing is different. The model he gets from Ned is totally different. So the phases I find are just polar opposite. And then throw in the different personality of how he conducts himself. Like it, it's definitely, I'd regularly say Ned would have never done that to that. <laughs> like Ned would never do that too. And it's even just the way he plays with toys. Yeah. Like we'll say Billy would be able to like do kind of imagination and role play esque games as the man says that ned wouldn't have but that's because i wouldn't have been doing them with him because i would have thought that was like over his head but ned is full on with them and billy just falls in yeah so he's just it's exposure i suppose as well isn't it you know but like yeah they're funny they're funny little pair and they're obsessed with each other which is it's lovely like till you want them to give each other space but (laughs) um yeah they're very different billy is um Billy's a cool customer. He takes in Ned. Ned is very high energy. Um, he's very intelligent, which obviously should be like a thing a mother's delighted about. But <laughs> his IQ is pretty high. And um, it means like the level of stuff he processes and the amount like he wants to take in and take on is like a lot for his age. Um, and Billy absorbs he absorbs people and information and um he he's just has a funny little personality as well like he's i don't know what you would call him he's there's definitely a rogue in there i'd say more so than ned whereas ned's quite a logical thinker you, you know can kind of see the rogueness in his eyes though do you see yeah, yeah. you can like i and obviously haven't i haven't met him but from I know. looking at him i'm like 
Ah, yeah. Yeah. I describe you as a rogue. And, like, the other day, like, I gave out to him about something. God only knows what. But, like, I was quite firm, like, and I imagine Ned would have cried, like, if I'd said what I'd said to him at the same age. And Billy looked up and he he blew me a kiss. And that's terrifying. You know, like, that's just terrifying, like, because, you know, that that should not be your knee-jerk reaction here is, um, you know, to charm me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, long, long, long road. <laughs> and a hot topic you get asked a lot um, is about introducing, like, a baby to another baby. Oh, so yeah, yeah. what was it like for you knowing, you know, having your background and introducing the boys to each other? How was yeah, that like? I'll tell you what, I did take on my own advice. I have, like, a video on um, IGTV on it. And I, I have a couple of articles, I think, as well. I, I honestly forget where I put things. So sometimes someone will ask me and I'll be like, it's definitely somewhere on there. <laughs> I know I've done it. I just don't know if it's a video or an article or whatever. Um, I find it hard to keep all the plates spinning and keep track of everything. But I did take all my own advice as regards preparing him. I didn't over prepare him. I honestly, I find it very difficult to believe the likes of Alice's and Ned's age, say, you know, those uh, teen months mm-hmm. can process the verbal we put on them a lot um, and sometimes they do great acts in all the language they might throw at us and all that they might look to understand but their receptive language is not there and I think at the time I put it to my husband I'm not going to tell him all about babies and bellies and all the rest at 17 months because you just about at 30 whatever understand there's a baby in my belly you as a man just about get what's going on here so let's not put that on Ned and overwhelm him and you see they're great too because we go in all telling them everything and we tell them it's excited so yes they may look excited because if you keep telling them something's exciting they may eventually start playing the part but um I think you know the more expectation we put in them and the higher we raise the bar for these things, the harder we make our own lives because, you know, they can only but fall under the bar then. So I think set the bar low as to their understanding and, you know, there's lots of practical ways to prepare and I go through most of them and I think, you know, minimise what we expect of them then when the baby comes home. It's a huge transition. I think Billy came home maybe on a Friday and Saturday and Sunday were fine and I never forget it Ned cried the entire day Monday because it only just hit him Mm -hmm. this baby wasn't going away again yeah and he like he we were very lucky nothing to do with my qualifications or anything I did with preparation Ned's personality is a very sensitive kind never jealous of anything personality he's like that he was like that always. I knew he was going to be like that. When we brought Billy in in the car seat, the first thing he did was give him his beaker. Like that's straight in out of the, does the baby want to drink? And that's Ned, that's not me. That's not anything I taught him or brought him up. That's just the way he's always been. And he's still like that with Billy. Um, I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they're killing each other this minute. But the nature in Ned is that and how it was was and that obviously played to our advantage I would question very much this minute if I brought a baby home would Billy react that way I don't know if that same nature is there but (laughs) um I knew it was with Ned and it showed itself and that was great 
but the emotion hit him on the Monday and I'll never forget it. I was like, he has not stopped crying. And it looked to be over things, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, he's crying because. But at the end of the day, he was just full of emotion, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah no the rest it, it moved on then with the week you know once we got over the Monday the Tuesday started off a bit different and we we moved with it um and then you know I suppose it, it's just all about then adapting to this totally new dynamic and trying to keep all the plates spinning and keep everyone happy but you know, we were very lucky with Ned um just being Ned and yeah and and accepting Billy as he did um and we didn't have any too much trouble and then you see it's all the milestones after that you have to worry about um I would like I'm watching what I'm saying here though I scare you too much but like you know it's it's I suppose the milestones where they start gaining ground on the toddler yeah that start impinging on their day then um but look they're all manageable and you know you get there and I always think once they start play school and they have that break in the morning it makes so much of a difference to you and your sanity and the other child getting their one-to-one time and everything as well so yeah you know it 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 works out and you get there and you know where I am (laughs) 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 and do you think the motherhood has changed you do you think when you look back and what you think or you thought motherhood was going to be and what type of mother you were going to be yourself what does that what did what did the idea versus reality kind of look like oh I think it is a million percent changed me um in a in a in a lot of ways uh I I I yeah I suppose to answer your yes it definitely has changed me I'm definitely a different person since having it um and then I think actually though as regards the mother I am I would have always hoped that this is how it would have played out um you know that I, do you know, I I think I probably underestimated how much I'd be willing to sacrifice for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I underestimated that. I think if you had taught me, oh, definitely, actually, if you had taught me as a teenager or in my 20s that I'd leave my career for Ned or Billy, I would be like, ha, good one. Not like, I so wouldn't do that. Why would I stay at home? Don't be silly. And it was late into my pregnancy with Ned, we decided I was definitely not going back. So he hadn't even arrived and I was like, this is this is how this is going to play out. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to hand him over. Yeah. Like, I already know when he's not here that I'm not going to be able to hand him over. And I think that is the only bit, other than, I suppose, the stress it puts on a relationship. I never saw that coming. But I think the biggest thing I never saw coming was how much I would literally not care about Mm-hmm. literally be bottom of the barrel all of a sudden in a blink of an eye uh for them and like I think definitely when you when you when you give up your career it really highlights it because you're also giving up your money and your lifestyle and it's sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice on that one um yeah I I think that that's probably the the one I never accounted for I never thought I would just so happily 
give up everything even like now looking at houses to buy and stuff like it's totally driven by the boys yeah it's what they need oh yeah yeah because and you know we were talking about it at home and they were saying would you look at this one you look at that one and I was like yeah if me and Rob were on our own I would live there no problem yeah it's like it's mad like and I literally don't feel any emotion about that I'm like it's just the way it is for the boys yeah the end it's like instilled in you it's yeah yeah, it's your own nature there's no like big think about it yeah so yeah that's probably the biggest shocker i think um and then how do you like when when you look at looking after yourself and your own self-care do you or how do you kind of go okay d now needs time to step away from this and mm, i probably wouldn't be amazing at that and i definitely wouldn't have been great at it i think going back to work like part-time has definitely helped me get better at that yeah and um even you know I suppose going a bit easier on myself and saying, you know, you've cancelled today. You don't need to go down and put in a couple of hours, Georgie. You've been here the other five days. Come on now. Have a bit of sense here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think going back to work even a little bit part-time and even just on Instagram before I would have gone back to work part-time, I think it gave me an outlet to do a little bit more for myself a bit and a little bit more things driven around my interests and things for me even you know making time to come here and do this with you because you know this is something I'd like to do and this is for me um but I suppose traditional self-care I'm a disaster like I'm not good for like grooming and like <laughs> would you would you make yourself go for a walk or anything would you kind of go I don't know I need to get no, out of the house on my own I'm always a disaster for that hard, so I'm it? good this is why we have like Mulligan. Mulligan is my driving force for going out in the fresh air. And I would have been really bad for that pre-Mulligan. So like early 20s, like, and you know, people that want to like look well and fitness and everything. No, 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 couldn't cope like with that. And as soon as I got Mulligan, like walking every day, every day for her. Yeah. Um, But if you'd asked me to like, go for a walk with you before I had a dog I'd be like what would be the purpose (laughs) but for Mulligan I'm climbing Glendalough like you know so yeah um, yeah, I get out with her I get out with the boys I'm yoga I go to yoga class myself I really enjoy yoga Um, and I used to swim I used to really enjoy swimming Um, but I suppose it's, it's just one of those things again that's just time consuming um and trying to get there and get out for yourself and you know it's that kind of everyone kind of says the same thing you know by the time you have the chance to do it you're so tired you don't bother yeah and I think I definitely fall into that um that black hole like and I suppose it's you know again maybe being at home as well like you know, by the time Rob is in and I have the bedtime done and everything. Now I'm lucky, Rob is very good. Like he'll come in at night and like if the place is in a heap, he'd do it after work. Like, no, it rarely is in a heap, but I'm lucky that he does just come in and bail in with everything. Yeah. Um, He's not the kind for being like, I've done my day's work. Yeah. And you're at home, so why haven't you done it? Like now he'd probably end up in a late early grave if he did say something if like that, that. you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember like even when we 
talked about me leaving work and going home I said like I definitely won't cope like if I'm expected to do everything just because yeah. I'm at home like it's not realistic either. no yeah. yeah and I think like I definitely carry the mental load in our house as well so you know it, it has to balance out some way but I am lucky with him like he he's great like that and you know he'll take on anything um but yeah the it's, self-care it's, kind of it's really hard I've seen it probably I suppose being pregnant now I've probably seen already I suppose it's highlighted to me more because I have a comparative so like when I was pregnant with Alice oh lads I was going for my nightly walks I was listening to podcasts on my walk I was going to pregnancy pilates oh I was living the life like I you know I was doing it all and now have I exercised once this pregnancy like five and a half months in like barely um okay it's the fact that we've had a storm every single weekend has not had a situation um should I be going to pregnancy pilates for my pelvic floor absolutely um and that I I know that's me foregoing mental health physical health but I did not have like the well I'm working and why to make it home I want to you know spend time with Alice she goes to bed mentally exhausted physically exhausted also want to see your husband and then it's 10 half 10 and you're you're like okay you know where where do I fit in the Pilates where do I fit in the walk it's really hard mm-hmm. um and I it's taken me to this part of my pregnancy to kind of go Pam you're you're not looking after yourself physically or mentally so you're going to have to start f- figuring that out um you don't want either issues once you've had now have two babies to look after Mm -hmm. um so I suppose yeah it is as a mother your your instinct when you become a mum is is that you are you know you do put yourself second fiddle to every other need and it's it is hard to kind of pull yourself out and go yeah and you do actually nearly have to pull yourself out of it and just go okay there's a different way of doing this we can work this out a friend of mine actually we're texting this morning she's just had a little baby um she is four weeks old and she was in she'd the mum had to pop into the hospital this morning and uh I said are you doing anything else like her husband was at home minding the baby I said you doing anything else while you're in town and she's in Dublin so um she was like I'm going to scoot around the shops and I said that is going to be the scoot of your life (laughs) that that hour to two hours on your own I was like you're gonna you won't know yourself and she's like yeah yeah." she's like I actually haven't been in town since December so she's been like three months yeah since she's been had a little bit of retail therapy I was like that's gonna be amazing and any day that I get an opportunity where I get might get the random hour I might get like my nails done or you know if you have to get your hair done I mean I shouldn't I know we shouldn't look at that as self-care because we're really just maintaining or whatever but for me it's like that two hours yeah of no I'm for not me thinking. that is self-care it like is. you know it has to be because that's you know um it's where you're not thinking it's where you've actually stopped and given yourself two hours to exactly sit and flick through a magazine or yeah it's um it's very hard it's a total balancing act and I'd rather lean on the on being second fiddle and happy with that you know as well going you know I'm actually okay with this it's when it's, it's if if you're doing it or if it becomes you're doing it and then you kind of feel like actually, like if you're begrudging it, or mm-hmm. you're, we're kind of getting bitter or resentful yeah. about it. You're you're in trouble. Then, then. you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. for I'm, sure. 
at the moment I'm kind of like, do you know what? This is this is the life. This is yeah, who yeah, I am, and this for is what sure. I'm, I'm willing to to yeah, do for them. I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you deal with families all the time, obviously, with babies and and kids and yeah. behavior, which is it's such a it's such a funny thing when you have got a child. It's like one of the very first questions is you get is is it good? I know. Does it sleep? Does it sleep through the night? Is it a good baby? Is it a good baby? I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really funny one, and I almost hate. To, Alice has always been a great a great baby. You know, inverted commas, great baby. Yeah. I don't know what a great baby is. Um, I have no other experience yeah. other than my child. Um, but I almost hate acknowledging those questions when someone asks you because you feel like you're feeding I know I know I can be quite sarcastic so depending on the form now you could get it either (laughs) way um yeah now I mean I never I never work with anyone that young um you know it's kind of for 17 months on but um yeah we have such an emphasis on you know behavior and being good and being the best boy and the best girl and discipline and everything and you know I suppose I'm privileged the generation I'm in do let me into their families and you know give me huge insight into their family lives and let me support them um I suppose I just feel so passionately about it doesn't have to be that hard um and if you feel like you're drowning, you know, reach out and there's always some way of doing things differently. And I suppose the big thing I always emphasize is I'm not here to um, tell you how I'm doing it and do it my way. Or in the same sense, I'm not here to change your parenting style. I'm here to to support you with your own style I'm here to support you with your own parenting and I'm here to if anything add and tweak um because I don't want you to parent like me um believe me I have the best advice in the world but it doesn't mean I'm always putting it through at home I'm a human person they're my kids they know all my buttons sometimes it's like dealing with myself in the mirror you know so it's not it's not like I do all the right things um when I have no sleep I don't remember what was in the best laid plans either um and I think you know I, I, I do feel very lucky because I think if I was born in a different generation and wanted to take on this job, I wouldn't be given the opportunity. Um, whereas I'm very fortunate that since Christmas, you know, I've had so many families that have been, you know, I suppose proactive enough to seek me out. Um, I suppose... I've been lucky enough to be let into their families and we've been really successful and, you know, a lot of positivity and a lot of, you know, kind feedback. And it's just the best feeling in the world to have a mum saying, it's like the difference, the difference. I love when someone, you know, we're on a call or we're on an email and they're like, you you wouldn't believe the difference. He's like a different child. And it's not that the child is different at all because I don't even meet the child. I haven't even seen the child. You know, it's what we're doing is just Mm -hmm. different. And, you know, when we give any child a chance to change or do things differently, they'll most likely take it because um, they're, they're, they're fresh to be molded and willing and, and ready but um I've rambled off now altogether I can't even remember what you asked me but <laughs> is there is a particular phase that you see as a common 
occurrence that pe- the parents reach out to you is there you know is there a mm. developmental stage or a leap that you kind of feel I think there's kind of specific topics more so than developmental stages because they all reach the developmental stages at different ages so like I could I always say from 17 months on but what I find is the reoccurring topics that parents struggle with then can pop up in one family at two pop up another family at four um and five six seven it, it actually i i wish sometimes parents had the information i had because they'd realize how normal it is for all these things occur with different kids and different times mm-hmm. um you know we've got very box ticking um with our parenting because of you know the different services we are fortunate enough to have access to but it does make us have this unreasonable expectation of when things should happen and when they shouldn't um and i think if everyone had privilege to the information i have they'd realize you know it just all happens but at different stages for everyone yeah. and everyone has their struggle um i suppose that the, the big topics for me, our sibling stuff, the new baby would be often a call I'd get, um, a regular one. Then on to the new baby is I'm trying to breastfeed new baby and the toddler's really struggling with that. We've had great success with that since Christmas um, in three different homes. And um, then you move on to, you know, new baby is now a toddler as well. You have the sibling stuff on a whole other level. Um, toilet training is a huge one. Um, I mean... I just, I did not really expect it to be as big an issue as it is, but I probably have a consult a week on toilet training. Do you think that's changing lifestyle? Yeah, and I think the two free years has set an societal expectation that's not fair on the child or the parent. I also think we don't talk about it enough. So Mary down the road was toilet trained in three days, mm-hmm. never had an accident. She went into bed that night. She was also night trained magically. And um, she had all her bowel movements and never questioned them either. And that happened at 2.5. Um, you know, years of age. It really could not work out any different to that. And I think if we all spoke about it, again, if you're privilege to the homes and parents I am you'd know that you're very lucky to toilet train any age child in three days to just have a wee and that night training is a totally different like topic and if it happens for you in line with the others you're incredibly lucky and that is all you are is incredibly lucky because your child was ready um I I've I find I've three things I say about the night training that shock parents always is that first of all you actually need to be producing a specific hormone to hold your bladder during night so if unless you're aware that they're producing that at a specific age your odds are against you and also the um, genetic connection with night wetting so now I'm going to get the percentages wrong so we won't be quoting Deirdre on this or anything but if you have one parent that was a night time bedwetter you are in the 70s percent chance of being a bedwetter and if both parents were bedwetters you're up in the high 80s 90s um so you will be it's not something you can go in and train them mm-hmm. like you can't untrain genetics yeah um you can't train or teach a hormone to come um so you know i think if we all had though that in our reservoir of expectations it would help us set the bar to the right level and then everyone would be a lot more comfortable with how their child is doing yeah and how they're doing a parenting totally um 
Um, because that's something I, I actually ended up reaching out to you going, I did like, um, we we passed a potty, right? Myself, ben, myself and Ben were shopping. And Ben said, should we pick this up now? And I said, what? And they said, he said, he was like, well, she's just 18 months plus. And I actually stopped and I talked and I said, what I, something I remembered, I think, I'm pretty sure it was from you, was let the child pick their own potty for one. Um, and I talked about Alice and I went, sure, if I brought that home, she tried to put it on her head as a toy and she wouldn't have a notion if I started talking to her about peeing in it or what peeing even is. Yeah, because the so, language probably isn't even there. Not even there. She'd be looking at me going, what are you on about, mom? Like, so I was like, no, 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 no. That's not even, <laughs> like, we're well away from that. Do not stress me out, Ben. <laughs> I was like, that is not a phase we're even close to at the moment. But again, it's it's that, like, other than from the fact that I had followed you, watched those videos and learned from you, there was I had little facts in my head that went no these this is not adding up there's no point even in trying this it's we're going to fail at it and then we're going to feel the stress for you and the child is chronic then like that's I think the biggest pitfall is the the trying and failing and trying and failing and I hate using the word failing I suppose you know attempts and deferring like but you know it all creates a kind of negative learning history for you and the child and then you know you have a mindset building up around it and everything so I always love when I get an email from a parent that wants to toilet train consult and they've got to me first because we can be very successful from there and you know uh, 50% of my clients would be you know we've tried twice and now there's this and that and the other and we can work with that no problem and you know it's all about putting a plan in place to kind of support that child positively on the next time we on the next round and you know change their um, mindset and their conditioning to the situation Um, but it's a longer road for sure. The more you try and fail, try and yeah. fail. When you come to me, then you know you've probably added on a month, a month, a month. So I always say that that you know the sooner you reach out, the less work we'll have to do, and you'll be flying it. Um, whereas you know the I suppose it's you know that analogy of you know don't flog a dead horse. You know nip it in the bud, stop, move on and re kind of uh assemble yourself to go again and and get a bit of support if if you're struggling and i think you see again if you have a sibling that's toilet trained you think i don't need help i've done this yeah but it's not maybe you you know you you don't need to have toilet training but maybe your this sibling is different yeah and maybe they need a different avenue and a different direction um that's often the case because we like sure look we can't help ourselves but compare we've nothing else to base our decisions on sometimes it's it's just embedded in us to compare I think sometimes and you run empowering workshops as well yeah I run um parenting workshops and I have empowering parents which is kind of a general one um so we go through kind of the principles of behavior because I like people to leave with information they can fall back on in six months because we could sit here and do a consultation and we'll firefight all the current issues but as we know Alice will change the goalpost in a couple of months yeah. And you'll be sitting there going, what do I do for these? So I divide the workshop into two and it's kind of giving you a general foundation that maybe you can look back on when she changes the goalposts in six ta- in six months time and maybe not me, me again because you'll be able to work it out yourself. And then the other half is the 
techniques approaches strategies you can go home and put in place that night and run with and see a difference and see um results so it's kind of the combination of the two the empowering parents one and then the other one i run is toilet training um less stress more success that's a shorter workshop and that goes through literally every avenue that may or may not come up from all the preparation at start because I really feel strongly about the preparation um you know well before you ever train and then I'm hoping in the autumn um to start a resilience uh workshop as well um I just think it's been a pretty hot topic recently with I suppose social media is always a hot topic and then with the sad loss of Caroline Flack and Mm -hmm. what that kind of brought up in social media you know I suppose you know proactive parents like ourselves were kind of like oh how do I start that really young and there is some really like you know simple practical real life you know what can I actually do to make kind of new family norms that naturally nurture resilience so I'm hoping during the summer to develop that workshop and then I would do that in autumn winter so that would be the plan they sound great because again a bit like anything in parenthood is like there is no technical manual um you have to learn and upskill as you're going mm-hmm. so it is the whole thing of where's the handbook isn't it yeah so it's and every child is different you know yeah I am under no illusion that baby number two is going to be nothing like Alice um so I feel like everything we've learned and developed and and understand with her is going to be totally different with number mm-hmm. two so there's no point in even I was trying to tell you'll tell be more myself. confident in yeah. yourself that's what I found is that everything was different and I did things differently but I was far more confident in kind of making a decision yeah. with the second one uh, whereas you're kind of doubting yourself all the time in the first whereas you kind of get on a bit more on the second I think yeah you're so big. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dee it's that time I have to ask you three questions okay <laughs> what would you tell your pregnant self oh on the first pregnancy, anyway, I would probably say, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> you just laugh this up. Um, and then on the second pregnancy, I would say, get more help and yeah. take more rest. Um, you do not know what's coming, but definitely go. I, on the second pregnancy with Billy, I should have been easier on myself. I should have got more help um, and I should have taken all the rest I could have taken. This is true. I know. I empathise with both of them. Um, what one product could you not live without? Oh, um, chocolate. Like I have a problem. Like and like I'm a total hypocrite as well. Like because the boys don't really get on there. Um, yeah, it's probably chocolate or I suppose my phone because of social media and business. I struggle now. Struggle without the phone. I think. Do you put any like curfews or anything on yourself? Do you kind of go after a certain time? No, I, no. no I try and limit it. I try and not be on it all the time with the boys. But in my own free time, like say if yeah. I have an hour in the morning or the evening, no, I have no limit. I think it's unfortunately the nature of being self-employed now as well. It's very hard to justify me coming off it if there's stuff to be done and things yeah. to be answered and... and um. But, but yeah. as well, it's, it's it, it has become like a social outlet and mm-hmm. a le- like and a learning outlet. Like mm. I've learned so much. Mm, absolutely. It. So yeah. it's it's kind of like 
yes, it's it's a device, but yet it it takes the form of it has replaced so many other things. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I am good to, you know, I just I can put it down and I won't story and I won't post every night. Um, you know, unless I have to, I, I, especially social media content, I'm very aware of not just going on stories for the sake of having content yeah. up there. And the same with posting, you know, I don't feel the need to post morning, noon and night or every day, every week, because I just, I just think it's transparent when you do. Um, so I am good to just go, I'm out now today. I just need yeah this knot to be in my hand <laughs> yeah and what has been your magic moment um I think my magic moment was probably Ned coming up onto my test um I just I never thought it would be like that that like the childbirth would be that amazing and then that she would just land him up onto my chest and he was just there and it was nothing will beat it like you know wedding days lottos whatever like nothing will beat the moment Ned was put onto my chest ever I don't think um yeah I think that's definitely was like a turning point in my entire life like in every way it was a turning point in my entire life um so it, it definitely has to be the magic moment i think that's a fabulous magic moment Dee, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in um i can't recommend you enough to for any mum to be or mum um to follow you on instagram because you are a wealth of knowledge oh thank you on everything <laughs> <laughs> stuff you didn't even know you didn't know um and you're just a lovely lovely soul to talk to oh thank you you're very welcome thanks for having me thank you for listening to today's episode of For All Mumkind if you enjoyed it please rate, review or subscribe if you would like to send me a message please email forallmumkind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram and see you on the next episode of the podcast